You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 26. I'm your host, Emily Carney. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. This episode is sponsored by Fruit of the Bean. What's really special about their coffee is that it's not roasted until after it's ordered, so you really get that fresh taste with each cup of coffee. The company is also amazing because they love giving back by helping orphans and those affected by human trafficking, which is a really big passion of ours. And if you use the code MOTHERGOOD at checkout, you can receive a 25% discount. So if you want to avoid the grocery store during these very strange times, or if you just want to treat yourself to some specialty coffee, visit fruitofthebean.com and don't forget to use the promo code MOTHERGOOD for 25% off your order. Again, that's fruitofthebean.com and use the code MOTHERGOOD at checkout for 25% off your order of specialty coffee shipped directly to your door. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I know that every mom out there will really appreciate and enjoy this episode because it is so relevant given this epidemic that we're in because I know that pretty much every single mom I know, including myself, is experiencing some anxiety at some level given this epidemic and strange time that we're living in. And so I asked Chris Jablonski, who is a psychotherapist, to come back on our show And for those of you who aren't familiar with what a psychotherapist is, that they're actually a medically trained professional who specializes in psychiatry. So they can either be doctors who have completed medical school and residency or nurse practitioners. So Chris Jablonski is a nurse practitioner and she also has decades of experience and her real passion lies in helping moms in particular. And so she was really eager to come back on our show to talk about how to manage anxiety and your mental health in general during this epidemic. This episode is perfect for a mom who's experiencing anxiety for the very first time in her life, or for a mom who even has struggled with anxiety in the past and has a history of it. Chris gives some very practical and useful tips for how to structure your day and what to do throughout your day so that anxiety doesn't get the best of you and you can manage it on your own. And she also gives a recommendation on how to find a healthcare professional if you do feel like you need more of that one-on-one attention. And just a quick disclaimer, nothing in this episode is medical advice. It's for informational purposes only. I personally found Chris's recommendations and tips that she gives in this episode very useful, and I've even implemented them into my daily routine as well. So I'm really excited for you to listen to my conversation with Chris. And without further ado, here is our chat. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us again on our show. We're so excited to have you on to talk about the importance of mental health amidst a pandemic. I'm happy to be here, uh, even though it's a really hard and scary time for a lot of people. Definitely. Well, one reason why I thought of having you on is that a week ago Thursday, when the news was breaking about the epidemic, that I just started to feel tightness in my chest. And I was uh, texting with one of my good friends And then she told me she did too. And, you know, both of us don't have any history of anxiety. And then we realized, oh, maybe, maybe we're experiencing some anxiety symptoms. So could you just start off with telling us what exactly anxiety is for, especially for moms who might be experiencing it for the very first time? Yes, I'd be happy to talk about that. I think it's a really important topic right now. You know, when you described what you experienced right there, that's actually completely normal. 
what happens is our body, uh, if you think about anxiety on a continuum, like one is really low anxiety, 10, you're actually having a panic attack. What happens with anxiety is that our bodies were designed and made to respond to danger. The interesting thing is that our body doesn't discriminate between emotional danger, like hearing something upsetting, or physical danger. It sees it as exactly the same thing. So what happens is when you feel alarmed about anything, something someone says, and that could be fairly innocuous, like, oh my gosh, did you hear someone was in an auto accident? And like, oh man, you get that immediate feeling like, who, how are they? Uh, That's your autonomic nervous system going into action. And what happens with our nervous system is that we're designed to go into, and I think most people have heard of fight or flight, or now they've added freeze, fight, flight, or freeze. This is when I say autonomic nervous system, just think automatic. So it's not something that you can actually control. Once it happens, it's kind of like a fire alarm gets set off in your system And if you think back to maybe fire alarms at work or maybe back way back when you were in school, you know, you pretty much knew there wasn't a lot of danger. Your body reacts. Everybody stands up. We file out. We go to our special spot. So the anxiety about it is super low. But what happens when our bodies get the signal that there might be some kind of danger, the first thing that happens is our adrenal glands, they just squish out adrenaline into our system. Now, adrenaline speeds us up. And in the act of speeding us up, your heart rate goes up, your pulse goes up, your, um, your breathing becomes rapid and shallow. Things that are not needed in an emergency, they shut down. So your GI system shuts down in the sense that if you had food digesting, you just have a little bit of acid sitting there. So people will kind of feel queasy or icky when they're at the mid-level of anxiety, like five. And interestingly, your bowels aren't really needed. And in fact, if your body were to get injured, it does not want to have any waste product. So water gets pulled into the bowels. And if you are at the high end of anxiety, you may throw up automatically or you may have an accident in your pants. I remember when I was on the table delivering my third child, Jessica, Um, suddenly they said, oh my gosh, the baby's in fetal distress. I was having a C-section. Everything just went into panic mode. They were ripping me out of the room like things were flying into the OR um, in order to start the C-section. And I just turned my head and threw up. It was an automatic response. Your body, if there's an emergency, doesn't want to have any waste. The other things that happen is your uh, pupils will dilate. Um, you'll get more blood shunted to the center of your body so that your heart and lungs, brain and liver get everything that they need. Your also bladder will want to empty out. So on the low end of anxiety, let's say you're going in to do a presentation for your boss, uh, you'll feel like, you know what, I'm going to run to the restroom first. So that's how our body reacts automatically. And our hormone system releases cortisol, and that's the stress hormone. So that actually lowers our immune system in that moment of because we don't really need it in an emergency. So your body gets ready to spring into action, to fight, or to run, to get safe, or freeze so somebody can't see you or hear you. So does that make sense about how our bodies work when we have anxiety? Yes, yes. So it sounds like, too, that... 
there might be a difference between maybe clinical anxiety and then just normal circumstances you find yourselves in where you have some sort of anxious response. Is that kind of what you're saying too? Yeah, absolutely. So people who have general anxiety disorder, their um, their neurochemicals usually run low in serotonin. So they're going to get sparked off a lot more frequently. And then that becomes an anxiety disorder. And it can be panic disorder, uh, which is really, uh, you know, challenging uh, disease to have, or generalized anxiety. But there are a lot of things that we can tell your listeners to do both for regular anxiety, you know, just like if you were at the store, and you had your little toddler with you. And all of a sudden, they've kind of wandered a little distance from you. And you notice and you look up and you see someone like starting to take their hand. Boy, your anxiety would fly to the roof. You would spring into action. You might get loud and say, hey, who who are you? Wait a minute. That's my daughter. And you would fight to protect her or him. So, so it is normal. Everybody has anxiety reactions based on what kinds of things will alarm them or trigger them in their daily life. So certainly hearing about the pandemic, hearing that you now have to be home and can't go to work, hearing that restaurants are closing, hearing that hospitals are, you know, visitors can't even come into a hospital if they have a sick family member, all those things would be triggering everyone in the population. And then watching the news would be a huge trigger. And then hearing from friends, oh my gosh, did you hear this? All of those things would be alarming. And our children do pick up on our anxiety level. But again, the autonomic nervous system response, that part is normal and it's to prepare you. So now maybe we can talk about some questions you have regarding how do you deal with anxiety? Definitely. So what are some common basic steps that moms can take to reduce their anxiety levels during this time and also taking into consideration, I know, limited resources since it's probably not feasible if a mom listening feels like she needs to see a therapist to actually see one face to face. I don't really know that much about anxiety, but I've heard people talk about there's, you know, common things such as focus on something in the room, those sorts of things. Are there just some basic guidelines that you could maybe give? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so I gave you just a quick lecture on how the autonomic nervous system reacts. So if it's automatic, what is it that we can do? Well, there's actually quite a few things we can do. So the first one that I would encourage people to do is remember when you if you any of your listeners who did Lamage, you did that cleansing breath. So what we want to do is take a nice deep breath in through our nose and then breathe out through your mouth. And I like the method where you purse your lips and let the breath go out really slowly. Now, there are lots of different ways. Some people do a counting one, like you can get the Calm app on your phone, and it will do a counting type of deep breathing. But the idea is once you take several deep, slow breaths, intentional breaths, what happens is it's a signal to your body, oh, well, I guess the crisis is over. And then your body resets back to just your normal homeostasis, meaning you're just equal, back to equal again. So you're balanced. 
So just the deep breath would be step one in my book. And so however you do it, it's fine. But uh, I like to breathe in as much as you can through your nose. You inflate all four lobes of your lungs, which means it's a diaphragmatic breath, kind of like Celine Dion. If she's going to sing one of her really long notes, she has to breathe in as much air as she can in order to hold that note. So you breathe in and then breathe out. Now, I would add a second step, and this is extremely useful to people. In your mind, and I do this both with adults and with children, and everybody loves it, and it will work 100%. So maybe in the family, we start making a list that we can post on the refrigerator. And in our mind, we breathe in something that we really need that's positive or productive or healthy. So in this situation, I hear something on the news, I feel anxious. So I'm going to breathe in calmness. I'm going to imagine in my mind's eye breathing in peace or tranquility. And then conversely, I'm going to breathe out something I don't want. So I'm going to breathe in calmness and I'm going to breathe out worry. I'm going to breathe in peace and I'm going to breathe out scared feelings. Now, little kids are cute because there's no right or wrong. You could breathe in your favorite color. You could breathe in your mom's, uh, the smell of your mom's lasagna. Um, I've had a little kid ask me once, well, could I breathe in Disneyland? Absolutely. So you breathe in happiness and breathe out, you know, uh, frustration, breathe in, you know, peace or calmness or relaxation. So you start getting a list and there might be having colors on that. It might be scents. It might be words that just relax you. You might breathe in the beach and the rhythm of the waves and breathe out nervous feelings. So we've added one, an autonomic change by deeply. We're now going to go ahead and breathe out something that we don't like and something that we want right now. So that puts our head in charge of the anxiety in that moment. And the last thing is that you're breathing out your breath, just sort of feel your whole body, kind of imagine like an ice cream melting on a hot day, just let all the stress, all the worry, all the anxiety just melt off of you down your body, into the floor, and away from you. And then just give yourself a positive message in the present tense. Use your own name. So, you know, Chris, you can handle this. So that's a really quickie relaxation technique. It works 100% for anxiety. But the thing is, you got to do it on and off all day long. So you can put up little notes that say relax or breathe. And every time your eye hits those, just remind yourself, take a breath. Because during this time where so much is going on and we feel worried for our children, for our loved ones, for our parents, we really need reminders to just keep our body more in homeostasis or just at the calm level. So if you start making it a habit and maybe 10 times a day, you're doing that deep breath. And then when you feel anxiety, absolutely do the deep breath in with something good, out with something bad, you'll find that you'll feel overall less stress. I was doing it along with you just as you were saying that, and I already felt the calming. So hopefully everyone listening can can try to do that as well. What about for kids if they're old enough to actually know and understand at least to some degree what's going on? Is this something that you can do with children as well? Absolutely. I would do it with kids all the time, you know, doing the deep breath. 
So let's say our anxiety kicks up a notch higher than the five on the one to 10. Now what happens is we have so much adrenaline, it makes us feel shaky and weird and off. And we're breathing rapid and shallowly. So we're breathing in a little too much, um, not enough oxygen and a little too much carbon dioxide we're breathing out. So sometimes what happens is the deep breath is absolutely the first plan of action. But now if we're feeling jittery or uh, like I think sometimes people get angry or uh, upset, meaning you're feeling not right inside yourself. So, you know, doing something physical will be your next line of defense. Um, We know for sure that yoga is a great way to calm our body down and think about yoga. It uses a lot of breathing techniques. So you can pop on a YouTube on your TV and your, you and your child can do maybe one of the kid yogas. Uh, there are a lot of them out there to take a peek at and see which ones you might like or would find good. But some kind of exercise, even if it's fast and furious for just a minute in time, that can be very, you know, valuable. For example, if you have a two-story house, I want, let's say this is your child and they're getting a little bit too antsy. You want to get rid of this upset energy. So like run up and down the stairs five times, and then let's take a nice deep breath in of Disneyland and breathe out, you know, uh, high energy so that we just calm our system down. So it works for parents, it works for kids. It's a good secondary defense in addition to the breathing. Should moms be limiting the time that they watch the news as well? Would that help with anxiety? I know that there's a new press release going on pretty much every day now, and it's hard to just stop watching the news. Yeah. Do you recommend that? or I would say no more than a conglomerate of a half hour of a day because you can get a lot of news repeats itself and repeats itself. So yeah, there is new stuff coming out every day. So do a check-in with the news, but don't listen to it over and over. Don't go on a website or have your TV on to the news or, um, you know, it, it's just not going to be helpful to hear a lot of distressing information about a single case here or a single case in Italy or France. So probably better just to do a once a day check-in. And I would say no more than a half an hour. We want to be informed. We want to know what to do. Uh, but it's it's just an overload to give yourself too much time listening to the news and certainly for your kids. Because as your energy of anxiety goes up, your kids are going to sense that too. Uh, last week when the news first broke on Thursday, I could tell that I listened to too much of the news when I dreamt about it that night. And then I woke up thinking, oh, that was a bad dream. And then I realized, oh, wait, that wasn't a dream. So yeah. uh, you mentioned that there's other symptoms too of anxiety. What other things should moms be looking out for? What is there anger? Is that one of them? Or confusion? I guess, are there other things that might not express themselves as anxiety, but also, I guess, a response to what everyone's going through? Yeah, I think one way to understand it is that there are basically three responses to chronic anxiety and stress. And that's what we're in now. We're in to the chronic level and we're isolated. So with chronic stress over time, it's going to affect your body physically. So the, the primary symptom of chronic stress that affects us physically is the feeling of just being so tired. You just feel like, you know, I want a nap when normally you maybe aren't a napper. 
So if you're noticing that you're extremely tired, you know, you want to rest and you need to try and work to rest well at night, we can talk about a few sleep hygiene things. And like most of you probably have sleep hygiene with your children, like you have a routine for bedtime. But if you can add things like, you know, um, maybe some essential oils, you know, massage, along with story time and relaxation, and maybe doing some deep breathing before bedtime so that we get our sleep needs met. Also, because in the autonomic nervous system and in the anxiety reaction. This episode is sponsored by Etitude, which is 100% organic bamboo lycosol bedding. This might be a little TMI, but ever since I became a mom, I've had a problem of always waking up sweaty at night between the hormones and the pregnancy and the infant in bed and then now a toddler in bed with me I just hadn't been able to find the right sheets for my bed that would give me a comfortable night's sleep and whenever I shopped online I was never happy with what I found I didn't know if the sheets were made in sweatshops or if they had a bunch of chemicals in them so I'm so glad that I found Etitude which has the most comfortable and cooling sheets that are also ethically made and eco-friendly as well they're made from organic bamboo which is way softer than cotton sheets you are probably using Etitude sheets are soft as silk breathable as linen but at the price of cotton. You're going to love them. When you support our sponsors, you support our show too. And right now our listeners will get 20% off their sheet set and free shipping. So just use the code MOTHERGOOD at checkout for 20% off your order. The only way to get 20% off your set of Etitude sheets and free shipping is to enter the code MOTHERGOOD at checkout. That's MOTHERGOOD at checkout for 20% off your Etitude order. I'm so glad that I finally found my answer to the perfect sheets I was searching for and I know you will love them as much as I do your cortisol levels get high, what happens with that is that it lowers our own immune system. So other bugs that are going around, just the common cold virus. So because we're at home, most of us are self-isolating, then you probably aren't going to have to worry about that as much. But just think about it. If you have allergies, they might be a little bit worse. If you get bad PMS, the volume might be amplified. And that's just because your body's trying to deal with a chronic stress. Another symptom of chronic stress, if someone uh, experiences it more in the emotional realm, what happens is people start to feel not only isolated, but they feel inadequate or maybe helpless would be a good word. And then our self-esteem goes down or our confidence, and you're more susceptible to just feeling depressed, just feeling down and thinking negatively is a sign of depression. So we really want to work on our positive self-talk and with our friends, you know, if we're talking on phones or FaceTime, not to do a lot of the doom and gloom talk. Yeah, talk realistically about what things you're, you know, thinking about or fearing, but also really work on positive self-talk. The last area that chronic anxiety and or stress affect us, so we had physical, which is fatigue, we had emotional, which is depression, but when we feel it socially, what happens is we get really irritable. And often, unfortunately, uh, it's a you know plus minus thing, but the people we love the most, we tend to get more irritable with them. So our partners or our kids, uh, our teenagers, uh, if we're talking to our you know parents on the phone, you might find that you're just getting irritable with them, which is a common sign of chronic anxiety stress during this pandemic time. So if you notice you're getting irritable, you really need to try to set up a workout kind of thing, you know, or maybe a long walk or getting out in nature. 
as far as the other kind of thing that really helps is talking, talking with the people you love and, you know, reminding them. And I think we get mad at them because we know that they still love us, even when we're feeling scared, but it would be better to talk about what really is going on. I think anger is the secondary emotion in this situation. And really under that is just that feeling of fear um, or loss because we're all losing a lot of things right now. You know, we, our kids aren't getting play dates. Nobody gets to go to preschool. People can't go to work. You can't go out and relax at a restaurant. You can't join friends and have a picnic. So it's feeling really hard for folks to manage this. We really have to keep reminding ourselves this is time limited. There'll be a time when it's over. And until that time, I need to do a lot of really good self-care. But I think that kind of depression will be what we call situational. So it'll resolve. Same with the irritability and the fatigue feeling. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Are there some examples of positive self-talk? I've heard it. Uh, people talk about it, but I'm not sure I know exactly what that entails. If some moms want to want to start doing that to kind of combat some of those symptoms that you're talking about? Sure. I think everybody is talking inside their head and some of us even do it out loud. And in my therapy practice with I'm, when I'm with someone, I will always listen for their self-talk. So they might say something and they'll go, oh my God, that was such a stupid thing to say. All right. So that's negative self-talk. That was a stupid thing to say. No, you're not stupid. It wasn't stupid. Or that's a stupid feeling. Or we use it in terms of our body image. Oh my gosh, I'm so fat. Look at me. I'm just disgusting. Like all of that kind of talk uh, and for this pandemic, I think, you know, nothing's going to go back to normal. You know, we're going to be in so much trouble. We're going to lose our home. We're going to lose our, you know, livelihoods. Now, granted, those are important things to talk about, but we talk about them positively by beginning to make plans, by setting up a way to think about it. And anything that we can worry about constructively well, that means there's steps to do. You know, we can talk to our financial planner. We can look at what's going on, like what are the things that the government's doing? Like they've extended, uh, you know, the IRS, You, you, we can extend it three months. People don't have to feel worried about trying to, you know, meet with their accountant to get their taxes in because now we have enough time. So positive self-talk can be anything that gives you a positive, healthy message about the situation. So you're not stupid or ridiculous for feeling afraid. It's normal to feel afraid right now. But if I'm going to worry constructively, what could I do about that? So there's a lot of online sources for looking at mental health and well-being. Uh, if you look up something on um, cognitive behavioral therapy, or dialectical behavior therapy, they'll give you good ideas about how to work on talking positively to yourself, like what that sounds like and looks like. And then they'll give you ways of managing that through, uh, you know, just online resources. Now, all of us in the therapy world, we are now like in my practice, I was at work this week, but next week, I'll only be doing uh, phone sessions. And so at that point, 
Um, I will either FaceTime with you. Some people will Skype. Some people will just talk on the phone. So right now, you know, we've had, and most people have heard of HIPAA and had to sign the HIPAA release. So normally I couldn't Skype with someone because I I don't have a, a, um, a encrypted site for Skyping. Um, but hospitals would, clinics would. Um, so if you really feel that you need to talk to a mental health professional, that that would help you and support you, you should be able to make an appointment and deal with someone over Skype or FaceTime or on the phone. And those uh, restrictions have been lifted for now, just so that people who need it can get that um, service. And if you already have an anxiety diagnosis or depression, then you should be able to, you know, get back in touch with your therapist if you're not in uh, regular psychotherapy right now. And if you are, then you should be able to talk to them. If you're taking medication, you need to be sure that you're sticking with your medication regime and um, again, working on positive thinking and constructive thinking. Does that kind of help you understand what that means, how to do positive self-talk? Yes. Yeah, that's very informative. Is denial also a form of coping with this? I've noticed that a lot of people, at least online, not that I know personally, but either they're friends of a friend who's, they're just completely in denial about everything that's going on and just seem like that they're completely beyond reason. And it, um, when I was seeing so many people post about it, saying something like, oh, the media is a virus, like, oh, you know, this is being blown out of proportion or just complete out denial about basic facts. I just thought, oh, well, maybe that's another response to <laughs> everything that's going on. But I wasn't sure. Is that is that a common response of just to be completely in denial? I think that's an absolutely reasonable response in the sense that if you think about it, you know, if you've ever been to the doctors and they've tested your reflex with that little hammer and, you know, they poke it at your knee and then your, your leg kind of moves. Well, people have psychological defense mechanisms and by psychological, they're actually by their nature unconscious. So it means they're not thinking, oh, I just don't want to believe this is true. So I won't. No, you actually formulate in your brain a way of thinking about it. And one defense mechanism is denial. Another is intellectualizing. Another is rationalizing or sublimating. Um, so repressing and suppressing, these are all along with denial and rationalization. They're all um, defense mechanisms. So I'm not on purpose trying to do that. Most of the time that activates that kind of a reflex, that defense mechanism, when it's something so big, I just can't deal with it. But in a short period of time, as I get facts and I use reason, I'm able to then accept that and begin to doing steps toward what makes the most sense, what's constructive, what is, you know, what are they telling me to do on the TV? You know, so that's what we hope for most people, that the denial will be short-lived. And as it is being shown to be more and more of a serious problem uh, with this, and that our goal is to flatten the curve on the number of cases by social distancing and these kinds of things, then hopefully people will stop rationalizing or intellectualizing it, or in fact, denying it because it isn't safe for them. And, and 
certainly you then can put other people at risk that you have contact with. Yeah, I was trying to get the word out. One example is that pregnant women are considered an at-risk group by the American College of Gynecology, just because I noticed that in the news, they weren't really talking about it. So I just posted in a couple of mom groups and I was just so surprised how... Yes, that's an important one. I know the UK has already mentioned that that's true and put uh, pregnant women at risk. So absolutely, we want to be sure. Right. I was just so shocked, though, about basically every single pregnant woman in these groups basically was just out in complete denial saying, no, that's not what it says, even though it was a cut and paste from the site. And they're saying, oh, you're causing panic. And and then I just realized, oh, maybe they're just experiencing this denial that you're talking about. Even when they read something in black and white, they just can't actually process it. Is there a right balance to have, you know, so you're, we're talking about limiting the news to half hour a day, practicing these calming techniques to lessen anxiety. Um, I guess what, what's the right balance to strike between being anxious on one hand and then being in complete denial on the other, if, if that's even possible during this time? Yeah, I think, you know, we'd, we'd also add to that formula. So the calming kinds of things, and you can get calming apps, you can do the deep breathing, the cognitive things, meaning the way you use your mind and reason, so that you're working on positive thoughts about things. And then the exercise, uh, along with healthy eating, and good and adequate sleep. I think another thing that people can do that will really help is to form a a routine every day. So it's not wake up, flip on the TV to watch the news and then watch Netflix or, you know, people who use, you know, gaming or some of those kinds of things. It really will help to do, you know, set up your day that, you know, we, we do this kind of event, then we do a cooking and work on, you know, meal prep. Then we sit down and watch a fun talk show. Then we go out and do a walk. Uh, then it's time to, you know, take baths, do manicures, like just set up a way of looking at your day where, you know, Monday through Friday during this time of social isolation and distancing, you have routines in your house. So, you know, that cupboard you've been wanting to clean out forever, but just don't ever have time. You can do that. You can get your kids involved in doing projects. Uh, But, you know, cleaning and having just, you know, different routines that you begin to do throughout every day until this is lifted uh, would be really another helpful thing that parents can do for their children. And it will help them feel calmer, too. I was going to ask you, too, about that. Should we be worried about how we're reacting for our children? Should we censor the news from them or hide our emotions? Is that healthy either? I guess what's the right approach to have around kids? I, I don't think hiding your emotions. I think if you limit the news, and I don't think kids need to be watching the news. However, an 11-year-old, now they're, they already have abstract reasoning. So, yeah, you can you can look at what's going on. What have we been told we need to do? What kinds of things are we going to be thinking about? Uh, And education that, you know, like what is a virus, those kinds of things. Those are all useful, like educational things. But um, yeah, if we're getting all panicky and anxious, our kids are going to feel that anxiety. It's going to come out in their dreams, little ones that are like toddlers and youngers, or even maybe preschoolers, if they're really having nightmares more or, you know, wetting the bed when they weren't doing that before. Uh, those are all just signs of their own stress and anxiety. So those same anxiety uh, reduction techniques that I talked about will be helpful for them. And they're just good rules of thumb because life is stressful 
anyway. And children's bodies react exactly the same as adults in terms of, you know, feeling that kind of uh, worried, nervous feeling. So if they weren't sucking their thumb, they may be back to sucking their thumb. So those are just the clues and clues for parents to their children usually regress when kids are in anxious mode. So anything you can do to be calmer and to help give a perspective that's hopeful and that this will be over soon and we'll be back to playing with friends and being able to go out. So I think those are all the things that will be helpful to help our children cope. So the better you cope and take care of yourself and set up routines, the better they'll cope with this, uh, you know, isolation. They don't, you know, the little ones, they don't totally understand why everything has changed. But they do know that, that it's different and they may love it. Just like I saw someone, uh, you know, there were some things going around about, you know, dogs are just loving this because all their people <laughs> right. and they're like, whoa, what's happened? We love this, bark, bark. So uh, <laughs> probably if you uh, generally are a mom who has to go to work or a dad going to work, you'll, you know, your kids are probably going to be happy that you're home, but you're still going to see some anxious behaviors if you're anxious. But it's, it's like I said at the beginning of, of the podcast, it is normal to feel worried and nervous. So just get information, but just enough that calms that worry down and then make a plan and do some of the things that we've talked about in this podcast. What about moms who are practicing everything that you're saying in a few weeks from now, they're just really struggling. Are there any access or good remote therapists that you recommend during this time? And I mean, I've seen ads on the internet sometimes for remote therapists, but they always kind of look a little bit sketchy. Do you recommend any particular sites? No, you know, well, psychology today often is nice because it has uh, you know, everyone who's on there has a profile. So you can read about how they practice, what they do. And uh, so that's one useful site. The other is if you're going to be going through your insurance, you'll have to get a list of people that you can uh, see. And then you start calling them and responsive therapists who answer their call and get back to you within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, they can set up a phone session if they can't, if you, if offices are still closed. So then that will be covered by insurance. So that would be one thing is just you yourself calling. And if you call five people, you'll get someone who calls you back in a timely fashion. They're willing to talk to you about what's going on briefly. And they'll, they do have a ability to set up an appointment with you, whether it's, like I said, via Skype or FaceTime or on the phone. In parting, what would you say to encourage moms? Just a final word of encouragement. I like some of the other things that you were saying that it's time limited. I've been trying to remind myself of that. Any other final words of encouragement for moms just to help them get through this time? Yeah, I would I would really like to say that you all are strong and capable women. You will figure out what works for you individually, for your children and your families. Believe in yourself and know that you can handle it, even if it's challenging and difficult. It's not a disaster. Don't think of it that way. It's extremely challenging. And think of yourselves as being up for the challenge. I believe in you. Believe in yourself. It's going to be okay. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on and sharing these invaluable tips. I know that I'm going to be start practicing too. I think the schedule thing is what I need to start right away. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Take care, everyone. <laughs>